On today's show, our special guest is Justin Basil of Solemn Cellars in Walla Walla. As always, we've got you covered on events and goings-on with the likes of Mary Hill Winery, Petra Bistro, and Harvest Vine. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Revolve True Food and Wine Bar in Bothell, where a passion for wellness, wonderful food, and good wine infuses everything they do. All menu items are free of gluten, grains, preservatives, trans fats, GMO, and soy. Enjoy wild seafood, organic farm-fresh eggs, and seasonal organic produce. Find them at revolvefoodwine.com. Hi, this is Holly Smith from Cafe Juanita. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the September 2018 Seattle Dining Show, number 1809. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. Howdy! Oh, have you been in the South? (laughs) I've been out riding my horse. We were in Oregon. I guess that's the South from here. I have spent so much time in Oregon this year. I think think I spent five or six weeks in Oregon this year. Yeah. It's an addiction. It's a lovely place. And there's even some good food down there. Yeah. Well, speaking I'll of... I'll even tell you a little bit about it when we get up on the uh, where we've been eating part. Excellent, because we do like talking food. So speaking of talking food, I thought that we had a recent uh, experience dining in Yakima, and it was a mixed experience, mixed between what Tom thought and I thought, mixed between whether I'd go back or not, um, Mixed on presentation. So I thought it would be an inter- interesting thing to talk about um, artsy food and presentation. This was, uh, this was called Crafted. It's a relatively new place in Yakima, about a year old. And um, they do very pretty presentations. And, kind of a gastropub, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I guess. And it's a lot – they just have a menu with like – I don't know, 15 or so items on it, and it goes from what could be starters to full-size plates, or you could share everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I came away feeling like it was more fussy than comfortable, uh, although it's yeah. a casual a casual um, atmosphere. It's not a, you know, high-end, fussy, linen napkins kind of place. There's a bar, there's tables without linens on them. Very loud, as every place is. Um, I'll tell you what I ate and why I liked it and what I didn't like about it, and then you can talk about what you ate. How's that? Okay. I ordered the Alaska Weathervane scallops, and it had pork belly on the plate and some little mini, I'm, I'm assuming probably organic carrots. I mean, I'm talking mini, like double the size of my thumbnail. Um, very small. And they had some burnt eggplant puree on it, and green curry yogurt caviar. So one of the things that I asked them about was, you know, I'm not a big caviar person, but if it wasn't an overwhelming amount or something like that, and of course it wasn't caviar at all, it was yogurt with curry flavoring in little tiny balls that looked like caviar. But there were no, and you know me, I'm pretty linear, there were no... uh, apostrophes around the word caviar. So I thought it was caviar. Yeah, right. You know, it, it didn't it didn't you say it was. You were expecting a beluga to pull up out front. Yes, exactly. And I was, you know, <laughs> so um I will say that everything on that plate was cooked perfectly. The pork belly was maybe some of the best I've had. It was tender inside, it was flavorful. The scallops were close to being raw inside, which is how I like them. Um the eggplant puree, it was smoked eggplant puree and or burnt, and I could taste that. I mean, it wasn't like a horrible burnt taste, but it, you could get that burnt flavor. And, and you got the yogurt, too. Um, but it was put on a black plate, which was kind of pretty, but 
everything was spaced out so far, it looked like you were barely getting anything to eat. You know, it yep. was one of those artsy plates like that. And, the, and you were barely getting anything to well, eat. Well, no, no. I The scallops were large. If you put that scallops and the pork belly together, I easily had six ounces or more of oh, protein. Okay. It was two pieces of um, pork belly and three scallops, and they were the big, huge scallops. It was more than enough. And it was pretty, and I don't know that you'd want more of the eggplant puree or the yogurt caviar, but there was very little of that. And, the, and of course, it was like three little bites of carrot. But they had it so spread out on the plate that it looked like you got nothing. And that's that sort of determines your sense of, am I getting value for what we... Because it was expensive. Yeah. So, I don't know. And the other kind of thing they did, we started out sharing a plate of burrata, which was, I thought, very good. And it had a tomato... Which is a, a white Jam. cheese, yeah. it's very soft white cheese, yeah. kind of like a mozzarella, but even softer. softer. Ricotta-ish. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, like a ricotta. And it had a tomato jam beneath it and something else, and then And it's And the prosciutto. menu said it came with prosciutto. Prosciutto. So we're looking for prosciutto. And we can't find anything. It does look like there's some chocolate shavings on top of the burrata. That's what I originally thought, and I thought, What? So we asked about it, and it was those tiny little shavings that was the prosciutto. Yeah. And that's not that's misleading, as was the caviar. You know, so it was like a little too cute. You know, the, they were trying to maybe be too clever or something. So I wasn't crazy about that. And yet everything I had was delicious and cooked perfectly. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of odd. Um, and go ahead and say what your main dish was. So I had, what was the name of that steak I had? Pope's Eye. Pope's Eye. And I was hoping they weren't flying that in from the Vatican. <laughs> it would be a secret if they did. Right. Uh, and, I, and I told them that they asked me how I wanted it prepared, and I told them medium rare 140. And they brought it to me, and I was maybe, it was maybe 110 degrees. Yeah, it was really warm. Pink is or or red. Was dark red as all could be. So you know, I I said no, I can't eat that. Well, and here's Take the other back. thing about this: on the menu, it said seared. Yeah, and so you said they asked how you wanted it done, and you said you know, one forty. And so when you asked about it, we were sitting at the bar. So the bartender said, "Well, it says right here it's seared," and we were like, "Well, it." says right here, we told you. We didn't say that, of course. You asked us, and I told you yeah. I want it medium rare. So they kind of fell back on what the menu said, even though you had requested something different. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was like Pope's Eye Tartar, I think is what <laughs> yeah. it ended up being. And they took, a, they took it back. And they, they took it back, and they, they put some heat on it, and, and I ate about half of it, and then I... But that's okay because I'm losing weight because I'm only eating a couple of bites of anything I get served. Right well, what now. did you think of the flavor? Because I took a bite and I liked it. I thought it was okay. I I wouldn't be looking for it again. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know what the Pope's eye is, it's uh, it's the hip of the cow, and there's only two cuts on every cow. So uh, I don't know. They called it a butcher's cut, like it's a special thing. Yeah. I don't know if that's, you know, where the cows lay down and roll around in the grass, and so it gets a little more, it's kind of like its own little massage thing that it gets going on. Well, I don't know. You had said you would never go back. I'm not going back. I feel like I don't know that I would go back. Well, I certainly wouldn't go back with you because you're not going back. I I, I said to you, if I lived in Yakima... This is a place I'd go by myself. I gotta get in my four hundred one k if I ever go back there. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. And they were, uh, they were sort of laughing about it with us, not at us. But we were asking about what's organic because they're very farm to table, and they should be used to being asked about it. But it got to be kind of a joke, like, "What about the blueberries? What about the strawberry?" You know. But they had to ask about everything. No. People up front didn't know. People didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So So I personally, if I lived in Yakima, I would go there by myself, sit at the bar, and have one of the starters maybe. Like, I I like the burrata. I don't really think there was... I didn't think the wine selection was very varied. There wasn't a wines by the bottle list. 
There was only the wines oh, by the glass. I didn't even notice that. Yep. I mean, you could buy yeah. a bottle of any of those yeah. five reds and five whites that they had. Oh, okay. But uh, you didn't. There was no yeah. cellar going on of other stuff. So you know, the other thing that um, that I wonder about is pricing, and and when you're talking really good food ingredients, it's going to cost you no matter where you are. So I kind of can see. You know, their prices were like Seattle prices, but it's Yakima, and, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not sure the demographic is there completely to support that. But then we also started with a cocktail, and, and the cocktails, yours was 15 and mine was 14. Mm-hmm. Those are big-time Seattle prices. That's you big know. money for Yakima. Yeah, and, I, and, and also— They're trying to get everybody out of Natchez Heights. That's what they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing I think about <laughs> alcohol is that's maybe where you could—if you're going to— charge that much for the food because it's high quality food maybe you could cut down on the prices for booze because that's where you make all your money you know they could have cut down that down a buck or two it's spirits you make a lot of money on that i don't think it had to be so my end my my end comment here is uh, go to provisions skip crafted (laughs) and i think if you're in yakima for a couple of days you might want to try it just know you're going to spend some money the flavor will be good but I don't know. It just seemed a bit fussy to me. Mm-hmm. So that leads us to where we've been eating other than that. And, and I guess a part of my discussion about that was there's probably room for all these places in the world because everybody has a different taste about what kind of place they like to go. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll just see how they do in Yakima. All right. Where have you been eating lately? Um, let's see. I went to, uh, well, both of us went out to, uh, Magnuson Cafe and Brewery. Mm-hmm. That was very nice. And then you went a second time. And I went back, yeah. And, uh, love that water view out there. Oh, yeah. Beer's good. Food's pretty good. And the prices are right. So, make a, make a field trip out to Magnuson Park, located up on the north end where the uh, rock climbing people are and the bicycle people yeah. are, all the outdoor people, they they all go do their <laughs> rock climbing and their biking, and then they pop in for a beer at the Magnuson. Oh, they have it. And we have Cafe a story up about Magnuson right now online on the yeah. magazine, so go check that out. Okay, and then I went to uh, – I was downtown, and I went into Union Square and – Checked out all the food options down there, and I went to the Walla Walla Farms Cafe mm-hmm. in Union Square. Had a turkey club. If you're looking for a, 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 a I'm not going to say it's the ultra healthy alternative, but it is a better alternative to like the Burger King and other things that are in there. Um, then check out the Walla Walla Farms Cafe. They have hmm. a lot of, uh, I think they call it natural. Uh-oh. Which means nothing, but they're trying and they're making a go at it. Is and it really it is a healthier option than a lot of you know the mod pizza or any of that stuff? Is it really from Walla Walla? I didn't talk to anybody there. I figured mm. they were all just sort of workers and they wouldn't really know what the story of the place is. Yeah. So you know, you mentioned mod, and I don't know if they're sticking with their original thing, but they, the couple that started that, were trying to start a slightly healthier version of pizza. For kids, because that's what kids want, but, you know, you don't want to give them all the garbage. So Mod Pizza may not be a horrible alternative, but they've they've uh, ramped up hugely and expanded hugely. Hopefully they're sticking with their guns. So I'm, I guess I'm on some kind of turkey binge because uh, <laughs> we were down in Grants Pass, Oregon, and we went to the uh, Twisted Cork, which is a nice little wine bar located in downtown Grants Pass. So if you're out on the road someday and you need to get, uh, I had I had the turkey sandwich oh, when I was there. Not a club, just a turkey sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a club, um, and, uh, but it was a it was a nice little place. And uh, you know, I know that the people who listen to the show get in their car once in a while and do road trips. So yeah. that's one to check out. And uh, you know, that's that that now there's an example of a cafe that went in. To a funky town, because come on, let's admit it, Grants Pass is a funky town. Yeah. It's not the Epicurean capital of the world. Uh, but they didn't go too far trying to be a gastropub or anything like that. They just came up with a decent menu. They got a wine bar there. They got well, there was quite a bit of Italian stuff on that menu, as yeah. I recall. 
And uh, and I think they're doing it right. So we'll see where we'll have a contest. You know, you can you can bet on who's going to go down first: Crafted and Yakima, or <laughs> Twisted Cork and Grants Pass. And I I'm saying the Twisted Cork is going to last longer. Okay. We'll start taking bets. Can we can bet legally on sports now? I'm sure we can on restaurant closures. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, it's all for you know a good cause. We're going to raise money for a children's epicurial center or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, for end end hunger and get kids to eat Pope's eye steak. <laughs> 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 well, I went out to the Redmond location of the dough zone and i had not been to a dough zone before and there's a you know i'm exaggerating of course but a huge fight among foodies about is it din tai fung is it dough zone or dough zone's the poor man's din tai fung whatever it's all um there are some noodles and stuff it's very casual much more casual than din tai fung um but it's all um bow and and uh, dumplings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I actually was pretty impressed. I enjoyed uh, probably half of what we had. The ones that disappointed me were the ones that had some vegetables in them. Because, you know, when you're eating a lot of dumplings, you're thinking, perhaps some greens. Can I get some spinach or some something and something? Mm-hmm. To me, those had a very odd flavor that, that had the, the greens in them. Hmm. So I don't know what that was about, and, you know, I'd have to go maybe to another location or try it again and see. Then we had a lunch down at Tankard and Tun. This is the newer restaurant at Pike Brewing Company. They've always had their their pub there, Mm -hmm. Um, but this is their seafood one. And and I was actually pretty impressed. I tried somebody's fish and chips, and it was excellent. It was really good. I personally, and this is from a woman who doesn't eat mushrooms— I had the mushroom burger, and I asked mm. the the server about it because I do not like brown, cremini, little white button mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, we get them from a guy in Carnation. He grows them in a cave. They're, they're wild. It's like, okay. In the caves of Carnation. Yes, which you hear about all the time. It's a destination for tourists. <laughs> um, they're storing apples there and growing <laughs> mushrooms. And you can add pork belly on it, so I did just because. And um, actually, it was a pretty good sandwich. So I, I thought that was that was good. And they we had one person with us who had some dietary restrictions, and she just asked him a couple questions. They told her what was going on, and they did a nice job for her. So that was good. Then I was over in Yakima yet again, and went to Wine O'Clock at the um, winery out there in in Prosser in the Vintners Village. Mm-hmm. And we may have talked about this before because we've gone there a couple times over the years. But, again, it was really good. And we just both went in and had a bowl of gazpacho. And it was just lovely. I want that for lunch today. Yeah. It was really good. And it was just, you know, that's all we had and, and took off. And they have little flights of wine for lunch and things like that. So hmm. and we've talked about Matador before, but I'd never really been to one of their happy hours. And I was at the late night happy hour. And this is not... Healthy food, good for you. But they have things like, honest to God, it was enough nachos for easily three people, and it's five dollars. Oh, their their food at They're night good is salsa. five or six dollars. Yeah, we, no, I've had other good meals there. I've never been to late night. What's the little one around the corner? El Baracho. Oh yeah, El Baracho. Oh, they have really good salsa too. They have good guac too. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting because I'm usually not doing late night happy hours, and and they had some good deals on food. Yeah, I'm usually asleep by the time late night happy hour rolls around. <laughs> Especially if it starts at 8. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we take a little break and then we'll come back and do some news bites? That sounds good. Join us. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, I'm Emma from Seattle, and my favorite restaurant is Edda's on the waterfront. Their salmon is unbeatable. I love Armstrong Winery in Woodenville, and I'm a fan of Basil Cellars. Uh, this is Casper Dernier. I'm the owner of Casper Special Event and Catering, and welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. 
Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show. You're listening to Connie and Tom, and we're heading into the News Bites discussion, things that are going on around town. You can keep up with our News Bites as they happen by reading the News Bites column at www.seattledining.com. And we do add things as they come up, so check back frequently. All right. Well, the first one we got here, we talked a little bit about this on the show last time. Uh, it's official now. Sawyer has opened in Ballard in the former Kick and Boots location. And uh, again, this was uh, owner chef Mitch Mayers, who was formerly at Lark, and is looking to make this a Ballard neighborhood spot. And hey, who isn't? Who isn't? <laughs> well, it's interesting too. You know that location's slightly out of the main drag, so um, it's got. Yeah, but you, there's thousands of cars that go down 24th yeah. every day. Oh yeah, down. You uh, can see the sign and yeah. road in the back there, Leary. That's not Leary. I don't know what it is, but anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting for someone to take over where the old Yankee Diner was out on I the water. Know. It just seems to me that's... It was like a homeless encampment for a while or an RV well, encampment for Well, a and while. they were using the building as a commercial kitchen. People would rent it for yeah, a while. I don't know. water. I don't know. Get in there. Do somebody's something. Somebody's asking for too much money for that or something, or we don't know, but it's actually poisoned land or something. Oh. So, Petra... So, so it's okay to cook in it, but yeah. not, not, <laughs> you don't want to go eat there, though. You can't really take what I say seriously when I say things like that. Petra Bistro in Belltown celebrated their ninth anniversary in August. That's pretty cool. It's a fun spot to visit. And then, you know, what was it, a year or so ago, they expanded their dining room. So there's a lot more room in there. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice place. Nice. Little, little, little too much spice. but Too much spice? Spice has a lot of salt in it. Oh, it's the salt maybe. Yeah, last time we were there it was quite salty. Could have been a heavy hand that night. Well, see, last month we talked about an investment group that was going to open up a fairly large wine facility in the Columbia River Gorge down near somewhere around uh, like 97 and 14, where the Stonehenge replica near that. Uh, and down the road from there, uh, many people know that Mary Hill Winery is right there hanging off the edge of the cliff. And uh, turns out they're going to open up a tasting room this winter in the waterfront Vancouver development. And that's Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington, yeah. So, uh, huh. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Here's another little town that maybe is trying to up their game a little bit. Oh, they should. I mean, that's the second largest metropolitan area in the Pacific Northwest is the Portland-Vancouver metro. So perhaps my calling it a little town is not correct. Oh, it's already a big town that's short on good restaurants. Although yeah. we ate at some little restaurant. We down ate at one, one that time. time. It was quite nice. Yeah. We had a good and we it was a, one of those warm nights and we sat out on the sidewalk. It was very mm-hmm. nice. Wild Ginger Mackenzie, and I have to say I do not know why they call it this, I'm curious. Opened in August in the Regrade area. They'll have their classic menu. I think we might have talked about this last time because it was coming. Plus some South Indian influences from their chef Gilhan Ernest. Now they are officially open for lunch, dinner, happy hour, and they do have patio seating. Hmm. Now all they need is a late night happy hour to make them a neighborhood hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Something has to. Uh, Harvest Vine is going to celebrate their 20th anniversary on September 19th. And then they're going to close. Just on, for one night. Just for one night on uh, September 23rd. So they can have a staff celebration. Isn't that nice. I'm actually going to go there this week. I'm kind of excited about it. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. Let's see. And I uh, know all the listeners right now are going, Yo, you better get your 401k account if you're going to go in there, bud. <laughs> the Closed Shoreline Sears is um, going to be home to retail, restaurants, and 1,300 apartments. I'm thinking living next door to Central Market is not a bad idea. Uh, I would love that. Yeah, you could just walk over. Yeah, because I, as it is, I drive up there. Well, I drive up there almost every day because we have a storage facility up there. But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I was already driving up there two or three times a week to go shopping. Yeah, so. don't get excited about our storage facility up there. It doesn't have anything to do with food. Right. That we're would... not storing any food. Yeah. Dang. Uh, let's see. Uh, the old Spaghetti Factory building 
is going to become a three-story office building. Because that is like a historical building. It's yeah. got to be. Yeah, and they're adding one floor to it, so it can't. It must not have designation because I don't think you can alter it like that. Oh, I wonder if that fourth floor is going to be like a stabilizer oh. on the rest of the building. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's going to be uh, next to a luxury apartment building on the waterfront. Uh, the apartment building is going to be six stories, so is it going to block the view from the four-story? Yeah. Oh, those people are working in those offices anyway. They don't need a view. Yeah, you don't need to be looking out. Uh, 62 units and a restaurant that is loud, lively, and casual, aimed at cruise ship passengers and other tourists and locals, we think. We suppose. You know, I think it's so funny that we all complain about how loud restaurants are, but these guys are just saying, it's going to be loud. They're just telling you right up front. They, They told the architect, make it loud. Make it loud. Don't make people comfortable. Get them in and out. Well, I think I'm going to mention to someone on the city council that we need to have noise ordinances inside restaurants, inside restaurants. and everybody must comply. And, you know you what? Know, this might be a good time to do that. You would be great at that. You could take your <coughs> your uh, my hearing t- your, hearing your meter. test results. Yeah, well, you could take your meter down there and check it all out. Yeah, I can see you cracking hands. Yeah, I got cracking the decibel heads. meter. Yeah. Might as well take my laser thermometer, too, while I'm at it yeah. and check the food. And, and you can go out and say, this is not 140 degrees yeah. Pope's Ice Steak, I'm just telling you. I said medium rare, and it's, look, it's 109, man. <laughs> it's still got some chill on it from the freezer. <laughs> Gosh, life is hard for us. I don't know how we make it through every day. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we got the calendar. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Swiftwater Cellars, a Northwest winery destination in Clee Ellum, celebrating locally inspired menus and beautiful surroundings. Now also open in Bellevue. Find them at SwiftwaterCellars.com and SwiftwaterCellarsBellevue.com. Hi, my name is Leslie. I'm from Edmonds. My favorite restaurant in Edmonds is Bar Dojo. Their avocado tempura is delicious. Hello, this is Jeff Peter from Vin Crew USA, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Again, Connie and Tom, Seattle Dining Show. This time we are looking at the calendar and seeing what's coming up that's fun to do. New calendar items go up all the time, so check back on seattledining.com backslash calendar. And I'm just going to say right now as we get into this that for some unknown reason, people are not putting times always on their events. And I went out and checked for a few. So if we're not telling you times and you can't find it on Seattle Dining, you're going to need to go out to their website or call them. Yeah. What's up with these restaurants that send out like a press release about an event they're going to do? And then you go to find some information that's missing and they don't even have the event listed on their website. And oftentimes they have an event page. (laughs) And it'll say, no events show at this time. It's like, no events planned at this time. I would say don't put, this is, Here's my advice to PR people and restaurant owners. Don't put out a press release until your website is up to date and people can go out there. Yeah, exactly. If you're paying all that money for someone to write a press release, maybe that's the person you need to have doing your calendar page on yeah. your on your website. Just so that they don't there's no miscommunication, <laughs> you know, like I thought you did for yours first. Anyway, what's going on? All right. Um, Let's see. Starting on uh, Thursday, September 6th at 7 p.m., it's the Maker's Mark Dinner at El Gaucho Seattle. Boy, I bet you want to go to that. Yes. I like Maker's Mark. Connie loves her Maker's Mark Manhattans. I do. Uh, You get a five-course gaucho meal paired with Maker's Mark bourbons. The host is David Kearns from the West Coast Maker's Mark or or who is no. a West Coast Maker's Mark diplomat. I love titles. Does that mean you get free Maker's Mark when you're the diplomat? 
Probably, and you get to fly all around the country. Yeah. Uh, $150 per person plus a 22, not 21, not 23, <laughs> 22% service charge and tax. So bring your 401k. Uh, menu items include Wicked. Prawn. Prawn. Fakosha. Did you say that? Fakasha. Fakasha. Uh, ahi tuna ceviche. See, I said that right. Yep. Pork belly, grilled king salmon, prime rib steak, butterscotch bread pudding. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, you want to eat heavy, that's how to do it, yeah. huh? Man. Um, anyways, call for reservations. You can go to their website at El Gaucho, Seattle. Or go to ours. Or go to ours to get to theirs <laughs> and come back to ours. And stay on ours. So also Thursday, September 6th, Hitchcock Restaurant on Bainbridge is doing a cookbook release party for Nancy Singleton Hachisu's new book. It's a multi-course dinner, 125 per person. You can add a sake pairing for 50 per person, and the price includes a signed copy of the cookbook. This is like her third book, too, so this, she's not a newbie to this. Does she live on – is this her restaurant? No, no, no. It's Brendan McGill. Okay. I don't – I need to go to Bainbridge. Yeah, we do. <sighs> Let's do that. Road trip. I need a little, I need to get on my scooter and go to Bainbridge. Uh oh. All right. Friday, September 7th, the Mercer Island. Well, you can do like island hopping, Bainbridge Island one <laughs> night. And then on Friday, you're going to go to Mercer Perfect. Island Art and Wine Uncourt. Fifth annual event. An evening of wine tasting, art, music, food in Mercer Island's town center. You can't miss it. <clears throat> uh, Twelve local breweries and wineries. Wineries. Twelve local wineries plus ciders and breweries. And there will be food trucks. Food trucks. Wow, I've never seen a food truck on Mercer Island, but I'm sure it happens. I think it's a special invite. This huh. is the fifth time. It's the fifth annual. You have to get so clearance to time. get on the base. Yes. <laughs> also on the 7th, Friday, is an Alexandria Nicole Sellers wine-tasting cruise on Waterways Cruises. They've got their award-winning wines paired with offerings by Waterways Executive Chef. And the um, Alexandria Nicole wine expert will share a history of each wine. And you can find... Is he the diplomat? See, he has a different title. Yeah, he's the expert. He's, he's a wine diplomat. expert. He's not a, he's not a bourbon expert who's a diplomat. Anyway, you can check out seattledining.com and go on the calendar and find their phone number and make those reservations. Uh, Friday, September 7th from 3 to 8, September or Saturday the 8th from noon to 5 is going to be the Cider Summit Seattle in the South Lake Union Discovery Center. There will be over 150 ciders, meads, and cider cocktails. For those of you who don't know what a mead is, it is a wine made out of honey, right? Yes, it is. Or, yeah. There's, so it's, yeah it's, there's honey involved. Uh, see, I don't even know what it is. Uh, <laughs> general admission, <laughs> tasting glass, 16 tasting tickets. Hey, that's a lot of wine if they're one-ounce pours. Yeah. Uh, $35 plus tax and service charges through 9-6, or you're going to pay $45 a walk-up. Uh, designated driver tickets are $5 at the gate, and that includes a bottle of water. No alcohol may be consumed. I want to know how they're going to Yeah, I want to see them enforcing that. that. Hey, hey, put this shirt on. Put this uh, yellow yeah. bandana on so we know you're the designated yeah. driver and we'll maybe catch they, you drinking. And, maybe they put uh, some kind of ink that doesn't come off across your forehead or something. Maybe they pen you up. Until your group's ready to go home, and then they let you out. <laughs> yeah, you'll be over here with these people. Uh, okay, there's uh, uniquely paired bites. Now, get this. There's going to be a dog lounge hosted by the Seattle Humane Society because dogs need to socialize, too. Yeah. Well, you remember the highlight I said just before that? It was uniquely paired bites. <laughs> Here, here's a cider, and here's my dog. Junk. I don't. If I go to the cider summit, I just don't think I'm bringing my dog. And I'm not going to bring my dog and, and put him in with a bunch of other dogs. Oh no, no, right? no! It's you keep your dog with you. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, then. On Sunday, September 9th, from 1.30 to 4, it's the Introduction to Wine Classes at Esquin. Sommelier Arnie Milan is doing classes. This is a series, and it goes through October 14th. This first one is on the 9th, and it's about grapes, viticulture, and winemaking. You, in each class, you get to taste eight wines. It's $45 per class, or you can pay two fifty-five for the series of six. So this is a series of classes, and this is the introduction to the next five classes. Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, Thursday through Sunday, September 13th through the 16th, is the 7th Annual Feast Portland. I bet you know where that's taking place at. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you have tickets already because the big deal every year could be sold out by the time you hear this. Uh, hands-on classes, collaborative dinners, panels, and trend-setting chefs from all over the world. Uh, it's a fundraiser, and they've already donated $400,000 to help end hunger in Oregon and the U.S. Yeah, that's a good because thing. Because Oregon is a different place from the U.S. <laughs> Oregon first. I mean, it's kind of a Trump thing. Oregon we, first, then the rest of the U.S. Yeah, if we have anything left over, we'll give it to the U.S., now, Dunham Cellars has a series of harvest dinners coming up. In September, they are on Saturday the 15th and Saturday the 22nd. On the 15th, they're pairing with Chef Tana Milke? Mil- I don't know. Mike? M-I-E-L-K. I think it's Milke is how you Milke? say it. We had a, a customer one time that had that last okay. name. And that chef is from Votano Hellenic Taverna, so that might be really good food. And then on the 22nd, it's Chef Candace Smith from Forage Walla Walla, which sounds good, too. So they create these dinners that are locally and seasonally sourced and pair them with Dunham Wines. There's two coming up in October, so stay tuned next month when we tell you about those. I uh, see on uh, Sunday, September 16th from 6 to 9 p.m., it's the Kono Sir Wine Dinner at Revolve True Food and Wine Bar. And this is going to feature Colonel Sir Regional Manager Jake Pippen. He'll be on hand, and all the food is going to be done by uh, Adam Gerlitz, who is the executive chef at Revolve. Uh, it's going to be $90 admission, 125 bucks if you want to sit at the table with the captain. No. <laughs> She'll be happy. To have you sit with her. Um, oh, and you would be, if yes, okay. So if you're at the captain's table, you get Jake and you get uh, Dusty and. Um, who owns the restaurant. Yeah, who owns the restaurant. So uh, they'll be doing uh, a couple things that, I, that we know of uh, seared scallops, duck breast, beef wellington, and more. Yeah. Sounds pretty tasty. And then there's another uh, in the series of the Rosé on the Patio at Cuoco. This is taking place Friday the 21st of September from 4.30 to 7. Summer snacks, DJ vibes, Rosé, $25 in advance, 30 at the door. And on uh, Saturday, September 29th from 10 to 6 and Sunday the 30th from 10 to 4, it's going to be the Northwest Tea Festival at the Exhibition Hall at Seattle Center. I think we need to send Derek out for We do this. need to send Derek out. Premier U.S. Tea Festival, the country's leading tea experts. Uh, ten stage presentations, 30 workshops, 50 tea tasting experiences. And uh, it's $15 for a two-day pass or $25 for a two-day pass for two people. That's a bargain. It is a bargain. And um, didn't say that it, well, whether they'll be having Tivana Trump there or not. I don't know. <laughs> Tivana Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Saturday on 929 and Sunday 930, it's Oktoberfest at Queen Anne Beer Hall. They're actually doing this over like three weekends, so this is the first one. 
I, I don't know what a stein holding competition is because it seems like you should be able well, to just hold a stein. Some of them are really big. Oh, I mean, there's steins that are oh, so you got to have four some. feet high. You okay. got to have the stamina to hold that thing up if you're going to drink okay. out of it. They you should. Know, be. You're not going to give you a straw and have you tilting it toward you or anything like that. You well, got to pick it up. They should put this out at all the gyms around town and get the big bulky people who've been yeah. lifting weights come down. There'll be live music from the Bavarian Beer Garden Band, and there will be beer and food specials. So no cost to get in, but you pay for your beer, your beer and food and stuff. So that is it for the calendar. All right. Um, we got an interview coming up here Yes, now? we do. An interview with Justin Basil of Solemn Cellars from Walla Walla. All right. We'll be right back with that. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, my name is Chef Jeremy. I live in Kelowna, British Columbia. When I visit Seattle, one of my favorite things to do is eat lots of shellfish and visit the market. Hi, it's Greg Hersholt from the Como Morning News, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the founder, the publisher, the and the back office drone. <laughs> and I'm here with Connie Adams, and we are in a secret second-story hideaway somewhere in Walla Walla. And Connie's got a special guest in the studio with us right now. Go ahead, Connie. Take it away. All right. We're with Justin Basil, the winemaker and owner from Solemn Cellars. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I was going to uh, start out and talk about why you would want to start your own winery, but I think we better go back a little further and tell people what your history is with that last name of Basil. Yeah, so uh, basically the best way to put it is uh, I grew up in the wine industry, which sounds wonderful and amazing. So I I started in the vineyards when I was 12 years old, either pruning or other stuff, but it was chores. So at that age, I I did despise it. <laughs> and as, as with age, as all good wine does, I, I learned to love it. <laughs> and uh, now it's 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 been a good. good was that uh, like punishment when you were a kid? Well, go out and prune some vines. You've been uh, bad today. A, l- a little bit of all that. Yeah, we we lived out in the country, the South Side, which is developed more out of the city out there. But when I was a kid, and it's July and it's a hundred degrees out, you're not oh. really going to ride your bike in. So. Uh, to get a ride into town, to go to the pool, Memorial Pool, or wherever I had to go, uh, my parents would put me to work for a little bit to earn that ride. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so that, that that's one of the reasons why I've learned to love the grapes now, especially, you know, as I got older and got my license and did all that stuff and became an yeah. adult, you learn to really appreciate it. But uh, I was fortunate enough to have my family uh, get into the wine industry. My dad was a construction guy, so it was sort of second nature for him, but our family was always had a, a farming background from when mm-hmm. they settled in this area, Dayton, Walla Walla. Uh, and so it, it's having that family background in the farming industry, the grapes are sort of the next great thing to go do. It was somewhat mm-hmm. new in Walla Walla. The, the, really, the explosion was new, but it had mm-hmm. been here since the 70s, so I've always wanted to be a part of that. And so we started Basil Cellars, and our first vintage was 2001. We had an wow. amazing winemaker, one of my mentors, Trey Bush, and uh, learned a lot from him, and then did the the program, and took over as head winemaker when he started his own place. Okay. And then uh, yeah, switched over to uh, after we sold out, switched over to Corliss for a year and helped out there, and then went to Foundry Vineyards and another amazing art winery here in town. And then my dream's always been to own my my own winery, and I'm glad I waited. I, I'm glad I didn't do it right from the start because I've learned a lot over the years, yeah. especially on the business aspect. And uh, me and my wife now, uh, we do everything boutique and finally have our own place. So it's, it's oh, that's still, exciting. Yeah, still honeymoon phase. Like, it doesn't quite feel real, but yeah. I, I, I'm enjoying every moment. And when did you open it? Uh, we actually just opened August 12th of August 2017. 12th. So, yep. Man, yep. really recently. What, uh, if you don't mind my asking, why did your family sell out? Were your parents just ready to retire? And, or was the 
property. The property up there is just incredible. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, me and my wife got married there. I love that place. Yeah. We're still connected to it. The people that bought it were our minority partners, the, the, the Hansons, oh, and they're okay. amazing people out of Vancouver. And so it's funny. I always say there's no Basils left in Basil, but we're all good friends, and we always uh, are going to support them because our last name, especially on the label. And, yeah. and I enjoy all the people that work up there. Dirk, the new yeah. winder, who's amazing. But yeah, it just um, my parents decided they had a little different life and sort of gone different directions, and that was part mm-hmm. of it. And uh, it was a lot of work up there. So yeah. seeing that for me and transferring over to starting my small like boutique winery, you know, there's a lot of overhead over there. So something I wanted to do was was go in, not trying guns blazing. I guess you'd mm-hmm. say I, I didn't yeah. want to buy equipment, do everything. So I do custom crushes currently, and then I'm going to make a look turn a profit and then start buying all the equipment and everything else. So yeah. I, I've saw, I've seen the different levels, how it's done on the wine industry being raised here. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to go with that. So basis yeah. sellers was a great learning block. With oh that. yeah. Do you think you'll ever grow your own grapes or is that just part of the thing? that's just too much. Uh, actually we, we still do. So oh, okay. that, that's, that's probably my favorite part of it. Uh, oh. I, I'm definitely farmer first winemaker second, but it all comes together. And, uh, Basil Cellar's original state vineyard was Pheasant Run. That's the one we started planting mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, uh, my, my parents. And that's the one where I did my chores in. And uh, okay. Else. And uh, so when we sold Basil, that was separate from that property. Oh, okay. And so we, over there, we're, we're down to, we started around with like 40 acres, and we've sold off because we don't need it all. We're down to about 20 acres, which is perfect. So at, yeah. at our boutique winery, we only take about half of that. And then I do buy a little stuff we don't grow because we only grow Cab Merlot, Syrah there. Um, okay. But those are three of my favorite varietals. And I think three of the staples for Wall Wall. So I'm, I'm happy to have those yeah. grapes on our property. And you're making, are you just making varietals? Or are you doing blends or what are you doing? Uh, actually, so that's, that's another thing I've switched to. So I do absolutely no blending anymore. I oh, do single okay. block, single vineyard, single varietal, wow. um, which has actually been a, a great challenge and, and I really enjoy it. Uh, out of all the years that we've been producing our cab from Pheasant Run, we've had four blocks. Uh, I've never kept any of those blocks separate and block designated them. And that's mainly because with distribution when we're in 32 states, uh, mm-hmm. if you have a glass pour or, or a shell placement, if you run out of one cab, block one, and then uh, you have the block three, they're not going to replace it with the block three. Someone's going to sneak in and sell that spot. And, and it's sort of a marketing deal, but it, it's going to happen. Then you got to go back out and do all the work. Yeah. So that now that I'm smaller and I've owned, basically only distributing in the, the Northwest, allocating mainly just a few cases, 30 cases Seattle, um, a few cases up in Coeur d'Alene, a little bit in Boise. Uh, I don't have to worry about that. So it's the yeah. first time I've ever, since 2001 crash, that I've ever kept stuff separate and block wow. designated. So yeah, I just keep it at its simplest form which I enjoy, and then if mm-hmm. it doesn't make the cut, we'll sell it off or something. Yeah. But we haven't had that happen yet, well, yeah. luckily. Yeah, well, August. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things you talked about, I, I think I saw on the website, was that you have some unique growing conditions throughout the acreage. So um, what's that about? Why, yeah. why is that? Uh, so uh, honestly, that's one of the things I... Uh, being raised here and being in the wine industry, I think is very unique about Walla Walla, our, our different microclimates and terroirs and another great word for that word and, mm-hmm. and incorporates everything into that uh, from the wind to the soils to the, to the temperatures. But for me, uh, we, we actually are down there in the south end, which is a little lower, but we have a, a vineyard that uh, goes sort of on a plateau and then it'll drop down 125 feet down to our, our odd blocks of cab one and, and or sorry, uh, three and four actually over there. So not the odd blocks. But just from that change of 125 feet, it can drop 10 degrees in temperature. Wow. And that's really what, what that is, uh, stems from is from our cold inversion air that rolls off the Blue Mountains here. Oh. So when I tell people about our block one, which is the higher block, people always think, oh, colder temperatures. But actually, it's opposite. It actually stays warmer at night, especially right around harvest time. So what that's going to do is the acid's going to drop a little quicker on that. The pH is going to come up. It's going to be a little softer, more balanced wine. Now, our block three that runs down the old riverbed and drops at 125 feet and gets all that cold inversion air because when the mm-hmm. air comes off, it works just like water. It's oh, going to okay. sink. Oh, and so okay. it finds these old riverbeds, stacks up, and then drains out to the valley floor. That's why you don't see stuff planted out in the low spots because oh. it freezes out quite a bit. And so with that, it's like putting a vegetable in your fridge. It's going to preserve that that acid, and it's going to keep it a little higher. So my two yeah. caps that I did this year, the one in the three block, uh-huh. um, they're right next to each other, same clone, same soils, pick the same day, same oak regiment, same process, same everything, but they're completely different because of that microclimate and the change wow. of the temperature. And that's the only difference in the two. But if you taste them, they are completely different. That's mm. fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that, that's really what I like to do is show off that farming aspect. And now yeah. that I'm smaller, I get to do that. Yeah. 
You have the, the perfect control. Yes. Gotcha. Not, not every year. The weather does. Mother Nature is in charge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always have to give her that. Exactly. So you're making a cab and a Syrah, which I think is sold out this year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the Syrah and the Rosé are gone now. Yeah. I did a, a cab Rosé, and then I do the two block designated cabs. So okay. our full rotation, our first core wines that will come out will be 2016, and that will be two block designated cabs that are state grown, two block designated Merlots that state grown, and two block Syrahs. Um, and they're all a little different uh, elevation, different parts of the vineyard, yeah. so they actually come out quite different. And then, um, again, I, I do source from my friends around here because you've got to yeah. keep your friends close, and they do a great job. So <laughs> Tom Walser uh, down there, at, uh, some of you has always been great to me. Some of my favorite Petit Verdots. So I have a Petit Verdot coming out, a Malbec, oh, wow. and then a little Sangiovese from Cockburn uh, oh, Ranch. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, since we've been here just a few days, we've noticed everybody's letting their, putting their rosés out. And it, wh- why would you want to do a rosé? It used to be such a nobody wanted to do rosé, and now, you know, there's such good rosés. But what is it that, uh, is, that's interesting to you as a winemaker to do a rosé? Uh, it's a little bit of everything. It's challenging in a way sometimes. Um, it's a shorter process, so there's a lot easier. Uh, it's easier to have some flaws, and when the flaws happen, it, it, it really shows. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you're on top of it, it usually comes out good. But I, I think with the years now and the experience, because it's such a, a valley where we share knowledge with each other, all the winemakers, we share mm-hmm. everything, that we, I think it makes us better over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, when they first came out, there, there were some good ones and there were some there were bad ones. But mm-hmm. over the years, yeah, they've definitely improved. And rosé is one of those things where it's hot and cold. And right now, it's definitely hot. Yeah. It's hard to hold on to. And me opening August 12th, which is so that's when I got to release my rosé, that, that was a little weird. That was late in the season for me. And yeah. I actually found it was great because it was like 100 degrees out. And People love <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. A yes. nice chilled rosé on the patio. So, yeah. Uh, I have mine right now uh, finishing up. I'll bottle uh, the 19th. But, again, something for me, I, I, well, to be 100% honest, I had a lot of extra cab in 16. And I was like, I want to do a rosé. But usually cab rosés, they can be pretty stringent, pretty Mm acid-based. So I wanted to try something different. And I I timed it with a Syrah ferment that I had going uh, at the winery. And I picked it early morning, kept it cold. I pressed it off, which is a normal process, and then put it in the tank and started fermentation. After I finished that, I actually pressed off my Syrah because I timed it. Mm-hmm. And instead of composting or throwing those skins away, uh-huh. I actually threw it back onto my rosé ferment, the cab rosé. Uh-huh. So there's technically no Syrah juice, but the skin ah, sort of absorbs some of the acid and yeah. gives some texture because really a lot of the flavor and everything comes from the skins. And Wouldn't you I, call that blending? Well, that wouldn't be blending because there's no juice. It's just the skins. So it's at that point, those skins are almost dry. You can make grappa out of them, other stuff like that. But there's no oh, juice. Okay. And then after 24 hours, I press it off again. And mm-hmm. when when, I, when you're taking it, I get what you're saying. When you're taking it yeah. to the press, it's pr- it's putting tons of pressure. You're still on getting it. some identity from those skins. Yeah, and those skins will absorb some of the, the, the tartrates, other stuff, the acid, and other stuff, and it just sort of calms it down. So on the nose, you get that real bright cab, the acidity. But then mm-hmm. when it hits your palate, it's it's mild. different than what your nose tells you and it's a little bit softer because again cabs or rosés are pretty rare because of that that stringency or acid so i just wanted to try something and it did really well so we we repeated it and we're bottling our uh 2017 vintage here next month i got a a question that's kind of off the subject but um what do you do with all those skins when you're done ah I wish there was, biodynamically uh, put them back out somewhere? We'll, we'll compost them sometimes, yeah. Okay. And a lot of times they just honestly go into the organic process, uh, the organic compost that we have here in town, the, the dump bins. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say this, but no. I, yeah. I, I, Somebody I, was telling us yesterday well, that him. they're... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, no, I was just going to say, sometimes I have a small home still where we do stuff. Oh. So we, a couple of us get together in town and we bring all our skins together and we make a small batch of grappa, which would be Italian moonshine, oh, which is made okay. skins. But that, that's, that's I'm talking three gallons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the majority of the skins go into the dump bucket or get composted. Okay. Well, because somebody in town was telling us the other day about how they don't like to biodynamically throw them back out in the grape fields because they're so high in potassium it's not good for the soil. And, of course, you know, we're... Washington is, is the number one potato growing state, and potatoes love potassium. And we don't, we've actually seen potassium declining in potatoes. And I'm thinking, we need to be throwing these grape skins out in the potato fields. It's, it's, that's an amazing point. I actually have a buddy that over in Trey Cities that does uh, crop circle potatoes, and 
now that you said that, and you need to talk to them. But for us, mainly when I when I'm talking about the composting, we're really not throwing it on the vineyards. I actually use it in gardens or mm-hmm. out in planters, and okay. I sell it to other people. Actually, uh, and, and the other thing too, it does contain alcohol, so you, you're not going to oh. feed it all the time to your cattle or other stuff like that, oh. uh, unless you well, want to. Well, you could. Yeah, they'd have the, a what nicer is that, the, life. The drunk meat that yeah. you do, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then we massage them. Yeah, so. it's a the new it form is, of wagyu. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Grass the drunk fed. Food. Grape alcohol finished. (laughs) They're happy all the time. You know, we're laughing now, but somebody's going to take this and run with it. Mm -hmm. And and we'll be like, we could have been millionaires. Yeah, exactly. I don't have any cows, so if anyone needs that, that's fine. Animal rights organizations will be all over us for this idea. (laughs) But potato farmers, give me a call. We just throw it away. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a great way to put some potassium back yeah. in the soil where we need it. Yep. Yeah, because t- basically when you're pressing off, you're taking everything good out of it. And then, mm-hmm. it, like, literally when we're pressing, we're tasting towards the end of the cycle to see if it's starting to get some of those acids coming in, some of that potassium and other stuff that's squeezing too hard. You don't want to squeeze it all the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're basically getting all the good juice out and, and then leaving. Is there actually a, a, something you can stick in there and measure the level of potassium in the juice? You could, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's – there. well, I'm – there's tools for everything these days. Technology and just in winemaking in general in the past 15 years is. You got the app on your mind. iPhone, don't you? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's all my converter from from the like Europe to the US. So. How much are you actually producing now, and and how much do you want to grow? Uh, I'm pretty small right now. So my first vintage was only 100 cases. I mean, oh, okay. that's that's. Tiny. Yeah. Um, but that, again, that was something that I'd planned. I'd always produced juice from our vineyard and either sold off as like to other wineries or other mm-hmm. stuff. And the nice thing is when I started, I didn't have to go buy bulk juice from somewhere and slap a label on it because yeah. I had to stop selling it off in 14, which was our first vintage for Reds. But uh, I want to grow to about 2,000 to 2,500 cases where I want to sit. Right Currently, our wine club's full. We have a waiting list okay. going. We're going to open another 50 spots this year because we just didn't have enough wine. Yeah. And I want to make sure I have wine to pour in the taste room. When people come in, it's important. I don't want people yeah. to have to drive by and be, is it open? Is it closed? Are they yeah. private? What is it? Because then they be, won't come back. Yeah, I want to share what we're doing. That's part of my joy. I'm in the taste room all the time oh, as a winemaker. Okay. I love talking to the people. We're only open Thursday through Monday, so I take Tuesday, Wednesday, and I go to the barrel room yeah. and, and do all my chores. But... Um, yeah, with you know, in the past I've traveled the country. I was in 32 states. I have a, I have a young son now. Um, I, I want to be there yeah. and, and with them. And, and I loved traveling, but definitely as I get older, I, I enjoy it less. And, and yeah. for me, I just want to be in that Northwest market um, with all our locals here. They appreciate mm-hmm. the local wine. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I love Nashville. I love New Orleans. I love all these New York, all the places I get mm-hmm. to go. The food's amazing. But again, I just I'd rather stay home and 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 be with my customers and be yeah. with my family. Yeah. Well, that's why you have your own company too. You yeah. know, you know what you want and you can create that. Exactly. And you know, I could have gone in and tried to go into a lower tier market and tried to fight in the grocery stores and other stuff, but it's just so hard to compete with the big businesses. And so it's like, might as well go. I want, I've always, and I've always preached that quality over mm-hmm. quantity. And yeah. uh, so my largest lot last year was 300 cases of the block three cab. Wow. Um, so that, I mean, that again, that's tiny. Yeah. And your um, tasting room is on J.B. George Road? Yep, 1825. So I have wonderful neighbors. I was actually raised in that area. So when we had about 400 acres back in the day, which we've sold off a lot of it. And me and my wife live up there on 10 acres right next to the vineyards. We live in a lower spot, so we can't grow grapes. So we do a little seed corn and wheat rotating. But it's cold. Yeah, especially (laughs) in those low spots like I was talking about. But for me, being on the south side was super important because I was raised there. My dad paved the road I'm on. It's a a little skinnier than the rest of the roads. The county wouldn't pave it, and he was a construction guy. Him and our neighbor pitched in the money, and then he used his old paver. And so I literally can tell people when they drive into our our winery that we paved that road. And I can walk to work. I can walk home, uh, which I should probably do more often. Uh, but it's 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 nice to be home, and my neighbors are great. Between sleight of hand, Vapiano, Savaya, oh, wow. uh, uh, Bear Balboa, Northstar, Gifford Hurlinger. I mean, these are great people. And, oh, yeah. uh, and Ashley Trout's out there now, and so like all my neighbors are great, and everyone works so well together out there. And for me, being one of the new guys out there, I've had so much support of people sending people my way. I think that's incredible, considering the. You know how it just burst. How yeah, many wineries there are? You could get tired of everybody new coming in, but of course you have history. Yeah, and it's all know. about sharing. And 
Yeah, at least now I know I wasn't a complete jerk growing up. People yeah. actually like me, <laughs> and they'll send people my way, so that's, that's fulfilling. But, Do they uh, say, well, he's nice now? Yeah, you should have met him 10 years ago. Well, <laughs> since there's so many of you in one place, do you guys like time it so the bottling truck comes in and just spends a week out there, and you're all going in and out of the bottling truck at various Sometimes. Times? I mean, me being a small winery, sometimes I'll, if someone is bottling for two days or two and a half days and they have a half day, me being smaller, I'll come in and do a couple lots. And it, uh-huh. it does save a little money, but the bottling companies are really good about that. Um, we have two great ones around here that do that. And so uh, they're usually willing to work with your schedule. But, yeah, that's definitely happened to me. Or say something like labels just didn't show up in time and you have to run oh, some yeah. shiners real quick mm. and then I gotta call my I gotta, I'm like alright what wineries you guys going to next I gotta call my buddies and see if I can sneak <laughs> on at the end to get these bottles because I don't want to I don't want to hand label those yeah oh that would be oh, so oh come on 300 cases you can do it oh trust me it's not as easy as it sounds <laughs> Even hand modeling, that would be ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Trust me, it's, it's happened. <laughs> no, I never want it to happen again. That's what I'm talking about. You learn your lessons. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's good to have this experience. Exactly. Well, what would you want people to know about your wine? That's um, my last question. Yeah. So, I mean, again, for, for me, I think one of the biggest things is being single block. So when I'm talking block, I'm talking an acre or two out of a vineyard. Mm-hmm. I'm not, even if it's just across the street from that, I'm not blending those together from the same vineyard. So I'm keeping it very, very pure. So mm-hmm. it is single block, single vineyard, single varietal, no blends. And I used to love doing blends, but it's just something I've always dreamed of doing. Yeah. So when you come to our, our winery, you're going to get that experience and taste We'll have multiple cabs, but you'll taste the difference. And they really do yeah. taste different because of those microclimates, because of everything else. Yeah. And to show that off from the farming side and the winemaking side, it, it's special to me. I, I mm-hmm. truly enjoy what I do, and I'm, I'm fortunate to do what I do. And, and I just hope I can share that love and the experience of the winemaking. Mm-hmm. I want it to be an experience, not just a tasting room. Yeah. I want you to come in and have that experience. And for me, that's the ultimate goal. Okay. That's one of the things we've appreciated when we've come over various times um, to this area or to Yakima or wherever, whatever wine area, is that you really do learn something about the geography of the place, and and it makes it more meaningful. It is. And, and I think the whole Northwest in general, from Oregon to Washington to Idaho now, I, I think you get that experience in mm-hmm. majority of the places. And and I, I definitely have my favorite wineries and, and all that. I never have one that I say bad anything about because I've never had a bad experience in the Northwest and I love that yeah. and I'm so proud of where we're from and I'm so proud of all the people that put all the hard work into and I'm yeah. a fan of other winemakers all the time Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's something special you can only get in the Northwest yeah that it's that familial yes exactly yeah. well Justin thank you so much for being here with us today yeah thank you guys very much for having me I, I hope I shared enough and, oh, yeah. and uh, uh, people Stop by and visit us down there in the South End, and uh, thank you guys very, very much for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Blue Acre Seafood, an American seafood restaurant using only the best quality ingredients, offering delicious combinations and fabulous flavors. Find them at 1700 7th Avenue in downtown Seattle and at blueacreseafood.com. Hi, my name is Lisa. I live in Redmond, Washington, and one of my favorite restaurants in the Redmond area is the Woodblock Restaurant. One, uh, one of the reasons I like it is they have great drinks, half price on wines on Monday nights, and I really enjoy the menu. Uh, they change it quite often, and uh, it kind of reflects the local area. Hi, this is Jillian from Town & Country Markets, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We're back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher, and I'm here with the lovely Connie Adams, the senior super editor. Oh, I like that. SSE. And uh, it's time to wrap up the show, but as our regular listeners know, we always have a few good tips for you at the end of the show. So, uh, Connie, take it away. What's your tip today? All right. This is not rocket science, but um, 
I would say eat at places you're interested in and make up your own mind. Lately, for some reason, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, I'm very skeptical about such and such a place, or I've heard that such and such. And it's, you know... And there's tons of bad information on all these social oh, yeah. media sites. Oh, yeah. So. And I think it's, you know, obviously we love to talk about food, so I always ask other people, what do you think, what's like this? But it's like movie reviews. You can have totally different tastes than a movie reviewer and love something they hate. Food is the same way. It's very personal. And I think maybe getting out there and trying a new place once a month or something, something that you've thought of that you're still interested in, even though other people are saying, you know, no way. Um, Get out there and try it yourself and, and see what you think. All right. Well, my tip is if you know someone who's a journalist in the dining industry, never ask them what their favorite restaurant is, okay? No, I'm just kidding. That's not the tip. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The tip is uh, I was uh, making a cocktail, and uh, it called for simple syrup, which is nothing more than sugar water, basically. And uh, while all sweet things, whether they be honey, maple syrup, um, you name it. Agave. Uh, agave, all those things uh, are, are typically a better alternative than just sugar water. So you can make your own simple syrup with honey or molasses or uh, whatever you want. It's just a 50-50 split of water and then that other item. Uh, something like honey or molasses, you're going to want to maybe put those in the micro for 15 seconds and heat them up so they, they get a little loosened up. But uh, you can make your own simple syrup out of better products than just sugar. You're still going to get kind of that sugar rush in your body, but it's going to be better for you than straight sugar. All right. It's time to wrap up another month. Thanks so much for joining us on the show for September. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on, surprisingly, subscribe free. And we'll see you in a month from now or a few turkey sandwiches from now. (laughs) Dine safe, dine well, dine out often. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.